It is time for another heart-stopping episode of Disclosure. All right. Hopefully Probably. not literally hard. Well, I'm getting up there in years, you know. It's like, how old am I this year? Oh, you're uh, ancient. 73. Yeah. 74. No, no, but I am getting up to that point. Um, I'm already older than your parents were when I met you. Yeah. By you, quite a bit. You're at the age where when we hear the AARP ads on the radio, we stop and we listen. No, that's right. And you we know, pay attention. All, the, all those TV <laughs> ads like reverse mortgage and stuff, I'm like, yeah. ooh. Oh, Wow, Maybe we should listen. Yeah. <laughs> right. What's what's amazing is all the TV stars from our childhood are doing the reverse mortgage commercials. I know. I know. And like Magnum PI does yeah. reverse mortgage commercials. I know. Something's not right with that. I think he that. does reverse mortgage commercials. I, I think so. Look what I have in my hot little hands. I have yes. the, the latest rage. Just to prove that I'm not old, look what I have. Okay. I have a well let's see if let's see if you can guess by the sound of what it is. Can you hear that? Does that show up in the mm. Yeah, isn't that yeah, I wonder if our listeners can guess what it is by the sound. It's though. all the latest probably rage. Probably not. If you have a 10-year-old, you probably you have that? one Did in you your house. That? Yeah. <laughs> Up against a, it is a fidget spinner. Fidget spinner, yeah. yeah. I don't need help fidgeting. No. No. So that is the fidget spinner. We're going to put that. They're going to take this away from us in the break, I suppose, because mm-hmm. I want to play with my fidget spinner. Uh-huh. And you probably want to get to the topic. I think hand. we should talk about what we're going hey, to talk about. How would today? you like to make $64,000 a year as a nanny? As a nanny? Yeah. Pretty good hmm. pay, right? Yeah. That's, that's pretty really good, good pay, pay for a nanny. You have to go live in a home. Okay. It's in Scotland, I think. Ooh. Scottish couple is offering folks $64,000 roughly to come care for their two, their two children, ages five and seven. Okay. Sixty-four thousand. So pretty, pretty good job, right? Right. I don't make that kind of money. No. And so, but there's only one catch. Uh oh, there has to be a catch. The house is haunted. They've been in it oh. ten years, and five nannies have left the role because furniture moves by itself, stuff is breaking, and oh dear. so would that freak you out? Well, I, I would think twice, but so the nannies have left, but the family has stayed the family in that has house. <laughs> I would absolutely take it. I would, I would absolutely take it. $64,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I'd be a horrible nanny, but I'm not worried about the dead coming back to haunt the house. No. Do you know why? Job chapter 7, verse 10. Go home and look that one up, everybody. Job 7, verse 10 says, the dead do not come back to haunt a house. That's and right. so it is not your dead. Now, stuff, weird stuff does happen. No question it about it. It's just not the dead doing it. So wonder if it's probably a worse problem than the dead. Oh, the five-year-old is probably I wonder if the, the five and the seven-year-old are extremely clever. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably possible. freaking out the nannies and getting them to quit. Yeah, hey, let's move know. the furniture and cover the floor with blood. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Reason to not take the job right there. <laughs> we don't like this nanny. Away with the nanny. All right, that's not our topic today. No, no, We're not really not. dealing with fidget spinners, Or, no. but I still have mine here. Okay. That's all La- I'm going to do Last time. Now, give it to today. me. I'm going to take it away. Okay, give it, give it. Okay, I have the fidget, fidget spinner now. tell you're a career mom. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Took away my fidget spinner. Yep. That's okay. They want the fidget spinner in the control room. I know. They'll have to wait. During the break, boys, we'll share. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about how Christians earn money today. Yes, we are. We've done a couple of shows on this uh, topic, Sean. Yeah. And today the best is shows, our third. In, humbly, in my humble opinion, the best shows we've ever done ever. Ever. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. no I think it, it, I really, are. I really sense that we might get an award for those. You know, you never You actually laughed. Know. You actually laughed when I said that. Well, you never know. Okay. But no, in all seriousness, this is an important topic for Christians. Um, the topic of Christians and how we relate to money, yep. finances. Yep. Uh, we've already looked at a Christian mindset when it comes to dealing with finances, how we really live in the world, but at the same time, we don't allow ourselves to adopt the world's perspective to right. different things. Right, that was episode number one. It was episode one. 
We are members of the kingdom of God who are still living in a world with the perspective of radical independence from God. Hmm. So it's kind of like we're here on a work visa. I like that. We live by the laws of the land while we're putting in our time, but our hearts, our citizenship, it's all about our priorities. They belong back home with God's right. kingdom. That was episode number one. Yes. And I must say, in that episode, you did a fine job. Really? Yeah, I thought that, you were at your very that's best. That's the that award-winning day. part. Was yeah. my fine job. Yep, yep okay, that good. was number one. Okay, how about episode two? There we looked at the subject of tithing and taxes. Not light subjects, but very nope. important. And why Christians give a percentage of our income to the work of God on earth, and how we relate to the fact that the government, well, they government. also take a remember, portion it's of our income. Government. Yeah, I think that was your yeah, pronunciation. I don't remember saying that. Takes, but yes. Yeah. So taxes so that and was, tithing. That was episode two. So today, episode number three. Yeah, we're going to look at how Christians earn money mm, and okay. how we spend it. So earning and spending. Yep, yep. Mm. And I think maybe the best place to start today is with that passage you made reference to a moment ago, inadvertently, you see, where Jesus talks about the fact that his disciples are not of the world, mm. just as I'm not of the world. Jesus right. says that in John 17, verse 16. But at the same time, Jesus says he's not asking that we be taken out of the world. If you read that passage, why does Jesus not want us out of this world? Well, he has a work for us to do. You and I are still here as the hands of feet in G of Jesus in this world. We right. represent the interests of the kingdom of heaven. Yes. So, you might think of Christians as an away team, a diplomatic team from heaven. Huh. We represent the kingdom of heaven. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven right now. That's where our passport is. But we live in a foreign context. We're ambassadors. We're the consulate of heaven. Mm -hmm. And our job, just like an ambassador, is to show the world the ideals, the benefits, the culture of our home country mm. and encourage people to come visit. Good way of looking at it. Um, but it really does run a little deeper than that, though, doesn't it? Um, because we're also asked to call the world to repentance, um, to warn them that Jesus is coming back and that there's a judgment and that we will all have to answer to God someday. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why most spiritual allegories start to fall apart. You can mm. use an example like, oh, we're the consulate. Um, I guess what I should say is part of what we do is like the work of an ambassador. And part of what we do is like a property manager, because this world is the property of the Son of God, the last Adam he's called in 1 Corinthians. And he's coming back to lay claim to the whole planet after the judgment. Hmm. And of course, if we want to use the, that analogy of a property manager, um, that kind of ties into our own property. Because as you mentioned on a previous episode, the Christian knows that everything that he or she owns actually belongs to God. So it's not only this world that belongs to God, it's also everything we have, everything we are. Right, which brings us to the subject of earning money. Okay. If the Christian belongs to God, and by that uh, we mean that he, she belongs to God entirely. Your body belongs to God, your possessions belong to God, your thoughts belong to God, absolutely everything. You surrender everything about yourself to God. Well, that means your labor belongs to God hmm. as well. And yeah. if that's true, then what you're doing when you go to work is earning money for the kingdom of God. Really? That's what you're doing. That's a good way of thinking yeah. of it. Yeah. Another way of looking at this idea is that the powers of darkness have laid claim to this planet after we basically handed them the keys. That's the reason you find Satan showing up in the councils of God back in Job chapter 1. He comes as the lead representative of planet Earth. And when God says, hey, where have you been? Satan says, oh, I've been walking to and fro on the Earth. 
Hmm. Which is a way of saying that he owns it because, of course, feet represent ownership in the Bible. That's exactly right. So in the Bible, the devil has laid claim to this planet, and he did it with our full cooperation. That's hmm. the shameful part of the story. Now, most of the world works for a fallen angel. They have his priorities. They have his perspective. Right. They put most of their resources into his kingdom and his priorities. Right. But when you and I as Christians go to work in the morning and we earn an income, what we're doing is taking back a portion of this world and putting it back into the kingdom of God. When we trade our labor for currency, that currency can be used to further God's interest in this world. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about work for a minute, because I know, Sean, that you were raised in a Dutch Calvinist tradition, yep. uh, which really stresses the Protestant work ethic. Yes, especially when there's a, an unchopped cord of firewood in the backyard. My father was real big <laughs> on the Protestant work ethic that day. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> full yeah. force, yeah. But, you know, it's not just Dutch Calvinists who believe that Christians are supposed to be working, is it? No, absolutely not, yeah. right? It's a profoundly biblical point of view. Let me give you a few examples of what the Bible says about being productive and not wasting this one tiny short lifetime you have on this planet. Mm, okay. I think the best place to start today, Gene, the Ten Commandments. Okay. And as you know, the Fourth Commandment requires God's people to remember him on the Sabbath day. So not only does God ask for one-tenth of our income, he asks for one-seventh of our time. So on the seventh day, we rest from our work. We take a, a whole day off just to bask in God's presence and remember that everything we are and everything we have is thanks to him. Mm -hmm. But resting on the seventh day is only part of that fourth commandment. Listen to the rest of it. This is Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So there's the part everybody knows. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So, really, it's not just talking about taking the seventh day off. It sounds like God also expects us to be productive and work those other six days. Exactly right. Yeah. God doesn't say, hey, you may work with the other six days. He yeah. says you shall. shall. It is part of that commandment. So mm -hmm. we have a moral mandate as Christians to do something productive with our lives. Because it's not just the seventh day that belongs to God. In reality, he owns the other six days, too. Right. And during those days, he expects us to stay busy doing something useful. Hmm. And part of what you're supposed to be doing with your six days of labor is provide for your family. We've right. mentioned that we before. talk right? about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a biblical mandate to get up in the morning and do something to make sure your family members are cared for. God expects me to feed my children, <laughs> yes. right? And yes. feed them decent things, right? Yeah. God has placed our children in our home for a reason. He asks us to take care of them because they belong to him. They're his kids. Mm -hmm. So here's what the Bible says about that. We've looked at this another day, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, mm -hmm. and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what the Bible actually does is establish working as a core Christian doctrine, a core Christian value. It's part of the key Christian faith because it says if you will not do it, you are actually denying the Christian faith. Yeah. Wow. And if I understand that verse correctly, the word provide runs deeper than just putting food on the table and buying clothes for the kids. It actually means to care for them, so to protect them. That's right. So, so what it kind of does is it puts the parents in the same role that God has in our lives. I mean, not that we're actually God-like, but we do have kind of the same role. God is our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Parent. And we become parents to those little people that aren't quite ready to take responsibility for their own lives yet. Mm -hmm. And so... Caring for your family is a key reason that Christians go out and earn a living. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another verse that establishes the fact that we also go to work because we're responsible for our own welfare. God expects that we will not become a burden to other 
people. We do not have a right to appropriate someone else's life to ourselves. So what we're going to do, take a break, and when we come back from that break, I'll show it to you. If you have your Bible handy, you're going to want to look up 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where Paul talks about not becoming a burden to other people. That's the second key reason that we get up and go to work, because I have no right to make you responsible for my well-being. Uh, your life is yours between you and God. My life is mine between me and God. And I don't have a right to appropriate your life for my welfare. Mm. So Good we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's the Apostle Paul writing. It's a fascinating passage, but I hear the music rolling, which means yes, I don't have time. It takes, no, it's time to pull out the fidget spinner and play with it some more. I <laughs> think we have to give it to the studio. It's we have their to, turn. Yeah, we have to go give that to the control room in the break. <laughs> so you go get a Bible while Gene returns the fidget spinner to its rightful owner. And uh, then we'll be right back after this important message. You'll want to take advantage of this. The Voice of Prophecy has some of the finest Bible resources on the entire planet. And uh, if you just get a pen and paper, you can write this down so that you can take advantage of that and just grow in your own walk with God. We'll be right back. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? The Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. All around us, the world is changing. Homes are being lost. Lives are being threatened. And some people are asking the question, does God even care about me? The Bible answers that question, and what it says is very encouraging. Find out what God says regarding this topic and some of life's greatest issues in our free Discover Bible Guides. You can get yours by going to VOP.com, click on Study, or call us at 888-456-7933. 888-456-7933. Retirement planning can be a stressful process, but it doesn't have to be. The friendly people at The Voice of Prophecy can walk you through the entire process and explain all of your options based on your specific needs. Whether you'd like to set up a trust for income or make a gift that will benefit your loved ones and change lives through The Voice of Prophecy, we're here to help. To learn more, call 1-800-348-5993. And we are back from the break, and Jean has dutifully returned her fidget spinner to the control room. I can see Joel back there spinning it instead of doing his job. <laughs> I hope that uh, fidget spinner will keep you happy through your long, long days of unemployment. Oh, <laughs> poor Joel. Oh, he just spun it even harder. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> in seem, defiance. He doesn't seem afraid of me. No. <laughs> we were talking about the fact that uh, Christians are supposed to go to work. It's every bit a part of the fourth commandment as taking the seventh day for God. Yeah. And so you shall work. And um, we looked at the fact that if you don't provide for your household, God considers that being unfaithful to the faith. Yeah. But then there's this other principle that you don't become a burden to other people, that mm -hmm. you have no right to appropriate someone else's effort in life to support yourself, that that is a form of theft. And here's the principle. This is Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica. And he's explaining his relationship to a local congregation. This okay. is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. 
For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. In other words, I'm setting an example for you to follow. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Hmm. So the example he sets is that he works for his own keep, even though as a minister of the gospel, he actually does have a right to earn a living from the work he does for that church. That's established elsewhere in the gospel, that a minister has a right to make a living. If he's full-time serving the congregation, he has a right to earn a living doing that. But in this case, just so nobody can accuse Paul of being on the take, he goes and gets a job. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, not because we do not have authority, in other words, not because we don't have a right to make a living from you as apostles, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Hmm. So he's telling them as Christians to be self-sufficient and never give the impression that Christians are on the take. Ah, okay. Um, That makes me wonder what he would say about some of the TV ministries that we have today where all they seem to do is talk about financial prosperity. And, you know, there are pastors flying around in private jets earning huge six-figure salaries. Yes, but don't forget, I have a private fidget spinner. It's my <laughs> no, very you own. You no, have I don't to share it with to... Joel. Oh, we're all sharing yes. one. That's pretty sad. We're sharing <laughs> one fidget spinner. He just put it down. Oh. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Look, right. Let's just say for the sake of argument that they have a perfect right to make those massive paychecks. I'm not going to pick out any particular names, but let's no. say some of those TV preachers we've all seen Um, They have a right to those massive paychecks. And I'm not talking legal right because you have a legal right to earn whatever you want as long as it's done legitimately. Mm -hmm. But morally as Christians, let's say they absolutely have a right to make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars as a pastor. And that's morally okay as Christians. Let's say that making $4 million a year is actually coloring inside the lines as a Christian pastor. Perfectly fine. Okay. Right? Just for the sake of argument now. (laughs) Yeah. And let's say the Bible has nothing to say about that. Okay. Even then. You Mm -hmm. still have to consider the impression that you're giving the world by living like that. Mm -hmm. It sure doesn't look like you have the kingdom of Christ at heart. What what it looks like is you're building your own kingdom for your own self. And Paul's counsel is to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. That's very true. Of course, I do think there is something wrong, biblically speaking, with the prosperity model of uh, Christianity and the Christian ministries that promote this all the time. And maybe we could spend a whole show sometime dissecting this idea of the prosperity gospel from the Bible. But for right now, the point we need to understand is that Christians need to be exceptionally careful with how we conduct our financial business because we will always be held to a very high level of scrutiny. Everybody Mm -hmm. is watching us and we're held to a higher standard than the rest of the world. Every Christian knows that. Mm -hmm. Let's continue now. Mm -hmm. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and we're going to continue in verse 10. Here it comes. For even when we were with you, Paul says, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Hmm. And there you thought your parents made that up. Uh -uh, It's the Apostle Paul. (laughs) If you don't work, you don't eat. It's very plain. Yeah. For we hear that there are, listen to this, here comes a big issue. We hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are what? (laughs) Busy bodies. Busy bodies. Right? Wow. So what's the principle there? Yeah. A couple of things. Number one, the Bible teaches Christians are expected to provide for themselves. Right. Now, if you can't work, you know, say you're in the hospital, 
Say you got hit by a train, you have no arms and legs, Mm -hmm. right? You're at the Mm -hmm. point where there's no way you can earn a living. That's a different matter. Mm -hmm. The Bible says God also expects his people to provide for the poor, for the incapacitated. It says take care of the widow and the orphan. That is very clear from the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's really obvious when you read a story like Ruth, where she spends her days gleaning from the edge of the field because she's a widow. Um, the fact that God told farmers to always leave something behind for the poor. Well, that speaks volumes about how he expects us not only to make a living for ourselves, but also to earn enough to take care of people who need our help. Yeah, excellent point. Absolutely. And of course, in Matthew chapter 25, we have this picture of the second coming where Jesus actually asks his people, why didn't you do anything to help those who were hungry, sick, or locked up in prison? Right. It's actually in that chapter the difference between the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says that people who don't care about those who need our help do not reflect the priorities of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And frankly, they're not going. They're not going yeah. into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. So, yeah. This letter from Paul indicates we're supposed to earn enough to pay our own way. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the Bible also reveals that God expects us to be responsible for the people who need our help as well. Mm-hmm. Which is probably... One of my biggest beefs with Christians taking a, oh, here we go. We're going to step right on a hot plate here. The socialist point of view. And I know I'm going to get political here by hitting socialism on the air, but people think that socialism is generous. But what happens when Christians adopt the socialist mindset, which is a very secular mindset, they adopt this idea that government's going to take care of their neighbors, and they tend to drop all personal responsibility. Mm. What we'd really ha- rather have happen is the government seizes everybody else's income to feed the poor rather than help them ourselves. True. Now, yeah. I mean, we can get into socialism in the Bible some other day, and please don't write letters. I, I know that the Bible also has a lot to say about capitalism in the Bible. Capitalism's not innocent either. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line of what I'm trying to say now is the Bible asks us to take care of the poor, not appropriate it to somebody else, not pass laws forcing other people to do it, but Christians should be doing it themselves. Right. So I think a good Christian approach to earning money is to understand that we're doing it in this world to represent the kingdom of God Mm. and show people what God intended to do with this world. What we do is take back a portion of this world by using our labor in exchange for money And then we put the proceeds of our labor back into the kingdom of God. So point number one, if you don't work, you don't eat. Mm. But then Paul also mentions working as a way to keep busy bodies out of trouble. Hmm. (laughs) He says there are people who have nothing to do. So they disrupt the church. They mind other people's business. They act in a disorderly fashion. And I guess... Because they have all day long to think up new ways to make a pain in the neck out of themselves, they become a real problem in the Christian congregation. Wow, yeah. Well, I like that bit in the book of Genesis where God says that he's going to curse the earth for our sakes. You're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow, God says, but I'm doing this for you because the sinful mind if not channeled in the right direction, well, it's incredibly selfish. We all know that. And if you're not busy doing something useful, <laughs> chances are you're going to be doing something wrong. Yeah, I don't, remember, true? I don't remember who said it. I, the idle, idle hands are the devil's workshop. I don't know. Might have is that been ben, Franklin? ben Franklin? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But it is that. a biblical principle. Sure. Paul, Paul says that. Here, 1 Timothy 5, verse 13. Listen to this. Paul is talking about young women who never get about the business of life. They don't go into business. They don't have a family. They don't do any of this stuff. Verse 13, And besides, they learn to be idle, Hmm. wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, 
but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not say, hmm. right? Yeah. And, and here's, the, here's another one from the book of Proverbs. This has a lot to say about the Christian work ethic. Proverbs 18, verse 9. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Hmm. In other words, as you mentioned a moment ago, if you're not busy doing right, chances are you're busy doing, doing wrong. wrong. One more yeah. passage. Talks mm -hmm. about providing for yourself. This one's got some really colorful imagery. Okay. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little... I'm getting sleepy just reading that. <laughs> you know, right? Now I kind of want to take a nap. <laughs> a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Hmm. In other words, this is talking about somebody who's lazy. Mm -hmm. oh, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to lay under this tree and have a nap. Yeah. Oh, doesn't that? Oh, no, sure. that sounds so good right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's just, can we cancel the rest of the show and have a nap? No. No, we can't. No, Here's why. Verse 11. Mm -hmm. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler mm. and your need like an armed man. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How does an armed burglar show up? Well, they don't usually set an appointment. Do no, they? no, that comes by surprise. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how many people refuse to work, refuse to plan for the future, refuse to chart a course in life, and then they're shocked when they're poor later on, right? Yeah. And yeah. I don't mean poor like I don't have a lot of money in the bank, but you're not right. able to provide for yourself. They don't have enough. Yeah, yeah and you're not talking about um, calamity or no. emergencies. No, 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 that yeah. happens to people. It does, it does. Um, Hmm. So we've established that God expects us to be productive and to do something useful with our time. But what about our performance at work? We haven't talked about that yet. If we're talking about how Christians earn their money, what does the Bible say about the actual process of that earning? Well, yeah, that's a good that's a good topic. Most of us have to work for a living. We have mm -hmm. to trade our labor for wages because we don't have massive trust funds. At least I don't know of one that you're sitting on and have never told me. <laughs> no, trust you me, know. I'd tell you if I had one. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have passive income that keeps us afloat. So what most people have done for thousands of years is get up in the morning and sell our labor for cash. Right. And it goes without saying that if we're going to get money for work, then our work should be worth the money we get. Mm, yeah. That, that's a mm -hmm. basic. If we're slacking off, not performing like we agreed when we signed up, mm -hmm. if we're not watching out for our employer's interest, because that's what he's paying us to do, mm -hmm. watch out for our employer's interest, then mm -hmm. obviously we're, we're stealing. Right, that's a form right. of stealing. We're yeah. taking money we did not earn. So right. surfing the web at your desk, mm -hmm. right? When your employer paid you to be productive for that hour, yeah, theft. Form of theft. Sure it, it is. That's not what sure. he, that's not what you agreed to do. Clocking in early but actually starting work later? Hmm. Form of theft, mm -hmm. right? Oh, these are little things, Sean. Is it? Is it? You're supposed to represent the kingdom of God in this world, mm -hmm. right? We represent the kingdom of God. We should be completely transparent and completely honest because we're trying to reflect who God is. Right. Our job as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven is to reveal the character of God to the world. Right? Colossians 3, verse 23 mm -hmm. says, bond servants, verse 22. Those were indentured servants back in the day. Okay. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. So mm. don't just put on a good show, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing mm. that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the whole issue in a nutshell. My real employer in this world is Jesus. Oh. That's my real mm -hmm. employer. That's who I'm working for. He's the reason I'm putting in all those hours of work, to take back a piece of this world and give it to him. Okay. Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So here you have a command of God. Even if you're forced into labor, a bondservant, work like you're working for God. Colossians 3 verse 23. 
and and so there's the basic principle. We're trying. Here's another quick passage. Christians should probably post above their workstations at work, or at least read it once a day. Proverbs 11 verse 1. And after we take our next break, we'll come back and look at this. But here's okay. what it says in Proverbs 11 verse 1. Dishonest scales hmm. are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Dishonest scales are an abomination wow. to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. You ought to read that in the car yeah. every morning before you get out of your car and head into work and Good begin proverb. to exchange your labor. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. We'll unpack that a little bit here in a moment. Just weights are God's delight. How do we respond as Christians in a work environment? How do we earn our money as Christians? What's expected of us when we get to work? Our job is to reflect the character of God in this world and take a piece of this world back for the kingdom of God. We're going to unpack that more in just a little moment, but I want you to hear these words from the good people at The Voice of Prophecy first, and then my lovely co-host, Gene, who is pretty as always, and myself, who's ugly as always, will be right back. Evolution. Where did the world come from? Where did you come from? Were you created in an instant? Did you evolve from another animal or life species? These are issues that are discussed in classrooms, textbooks, and sometimes around your break table at work when the conversation suddenly turns serious. These kinds of questions are answered in our free Discover Bible Guides. These 26 beautifully illustrated guides cover all the major themes of the Bible and they answer some of the hardest questions of life. You can get your free copy just for the asking by contacting me. Go to VOP.com and click on the tab that says Study. That's VOP.com, the tab that says Study. Or phone me, 888-456-7933. That's 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides, available just for the asking. We were talking about being honest at work just before the break, and they were playing with the fidget spinners back there in the booth, and so I went back there and fired everybody but one, oh, just, to, just to inspire fear. Oh, yeah, that's a good thing to do in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can't let them out the door, though, because we're a little shorthanded, so someone's going to catch them at the door and rehire them at a much lower rate of pay. <laughs> no, no, no. No, they're all good. They're multitasking. Come on. Right. Yeah. yeah. We were talking <laughs> Proverbs 11. What do Christians yeah. do at work? Well, I, I'd love to read this proverb again, Sean, because I, I think I want you to just, just to unpack it for for us. It okay. says, Proverbs 11, verse 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. What yeah. does that mean so for let's us put, today? Let's put that in the work environment. So yeah. the Christian always has to ask himself or herself, mm-hmm. is my timesheet an accurate representation of what I did? Yeah. Just scales, right? Mm-hmm. Did my effort in behalf of my employer measure up to the salary I received? Because anything else is a dishonest scale. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a picture in Proverbs of a merchant who uses false weights. You want to buy a pound of grain, but he has a three-quarter pound weight marked one pound yeah. on his scale. Yeah. He's cheating you. Right. And we can do the same thing with our labor. We promise to work an hour for a set amount of money, but we really only work half an hour because we used half our time for other things, like playing with a fidget spinner at the control booth. 
just like that. I just, oh, they just put down their fidget spinners. Yeah. <laughs> Guilt. But that's a dishonest way. It's not yeah. how God operates. If anything, God is more generous than you deserve. He puts a weight on the scale that says one pound, but it's really like 80 pounds. He's Absolutely. not cheating you at all. Oh, no. He's more generous no, no. than we deserve. And that's the picture we need to share as Christians with the world. God is generous. We need to remember, we are God's ambassadors. We've actually been given, the Bible says, the work of reconciliation, winning people back to God. And that means that we're trying to reveal God to people and lead them back to the throne of grace, teach them to trust him. And that involves what we say. It involves what we do. It involves how we work. It involves absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty clear that Christians work hard and we work honestly. And really, that doesn't come as any big surprise because that's just kind of basic common sense. Um, but let's say that you're the employer, Sean. What does the Bible have to say about that situation? Well, it says exactly the same thing. Whether okay. you're the employer or the employee, God thinks dishonest weights are an abomination. Mm -hmm. The work relationship is a contractual agreement. Mm -hmm. It says, look, I'm going to do this and that for X amount of dollars. I'm going to sit in this cubicle under these fluorescent lights for X number of dollars an hour all day long. So as an employee, I'm expected to do what I promise to do. That's a Christian employee. But the Christian employer is expected to pay what he promised to pay. Yeah. And that's exactly what the Bible says. Listen to okay. this. This is from over in James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Okay. Come now. Everybody loves this passage. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. No. Yeah, let me pause there. A lot of people love that verse for all the wrong reasons, right? Because they read that and they think, oh, God hates wealthy people. Listen to how he describes them. You rich weep and howl for your miseries. And, and we think, oh, I love it when these horrible capitalist pigs get what's coming to them. Well, I don't think that, but I've heard people say that. Mm -hmm. That's not what this is saying. There is nothing, and listen to me carefully, audience, there is nothing inherently wrong with being rich. Right. What God measures is not the bank account, one direction or the other, not how little, not how much you have. What God weighs is the heart. Right. Rich is not a sin. Mm -hmm. uh, a heart that is wrapped up in coveting, that's a sin. But, well, Abraham was rich. Job was rich. David was rich. Nicodemus was rich. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. And God loved those people. Absolutely. Abraham's called the friend of God. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just about being rich. It's about having the wrong priorities. It's mm -hmm. not money that's the root of all evil. It is the love of money. Right. That is, you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon in itself, wealth in itself isn't wrong, but serving it is. Right. Mm -hmm. This is describing self-sufficient people who place all their faith in their own ability to bring about paradise on earth. And God reminds them that everything they have is going to disappear one day. So here it comes in verse 2. Okay. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Now, we've talked about this on another program. I think the first in this series even, and, and so I'll leave it right here except to say that if your life is built on anything but the kingdom of God, when that other thing that you're building your life on disappears, you have nothing left. That's you right. literally become meaningless. Mm. Now, here comes the part that deals with employers. This okay. is James chapter 5, verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, cry out. Mm. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ah, 
Yeah. This is dishonest again. Yeah, it's talking about dishonest yeah. gain. This is a guy who made his fortune by cheating on the payroll. Right. He used dishonest scales. Mm. He paid less than he promised for the services provided. And the Bible says that God notices when that happens. Right, right. So it really is a two-way street. If you're the boss, if you're the help, the scales should be balanced. Honest pay, honest work. Okay. And that's the Christian approach. You want to reflect the character of God. Mm, yeah. So here's a tough question. <laughs> what about going on strike? Yeah, that is a tough question, going yeah. on strike. Um, and I want to be careful how we describe this, uh, but Christians have shifted on this. We used to look at going on strike completely differently, and we don't have a Bible verse that deals specifically with the picket line. Mm -hmm. You shall go on the picket line, you shall not go on the picket line. Right. What you have to do is weigh the Bible principles and apply them best that you can. So. What I might do, not that I'm a prime example, but if I'm in a situation where there's going to be a strike, I'm going to probably ask myself, why am I going on strike? Did the boss renege on his promise and refuse to pay me the amount I agreed on? He gave me half a paycheck and I got cheated. Well, yeah, then I might be question. tempted. Yeah. What I might be tempted to do is just cut my losses and quit because I don't know if I even want to be in a contractual arrangement with a guy like that in the long haul. I probably want to cut my losses and go. Okay. Am I being yeah. cheated? I'm not even sure then I might go on strike, but I'm talking personally. Mm -hmm. Or, here's the other question, is this a matter of demanding more from your employer, demanding a pay raise? Is your boss actually paying you what he agreed to pay you for, or she agreed to pay you for, but now you're asking for more money for the same work? Mm -hmm. Now, there's no issue going into your boss's office saying, hey, you know, I've, I've, I've really brought value to the company, I've learned so much, I work more efficiently, I'd like a raise. No problem there. Right? I've grown in my ability to help the country. I think it might be worth more if you look at it, and I'd like to discuss that. No problem there. By all means, go and ask for a raise. Mm -hmm. But is it right, and here's the question that people need to consider for themselves, weigh the, you know, just weigh the whole thing, consider the principles, and then make a decision for themselves. The question is this, is it right to shut down the business, to hold the employer hostage, to compromise other people's ability to earn a living? Because when I shut that down, you can't go to work. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. I'd have to say no. Now, don't take me as gospel if you don't like it. You know, don't like how I just said, write your complaint letter to Gene Boonster, Box 999, Loveland, Colorado, and, and let her know what you think. But go to the Bible principle. The, the question was, would I go on strike? Probably not. Okay. Now, if I no okay. longer like the terms of employment, I negotiate new ones, or if that's not possible, it's time to move on. Okay. And, and we're not talking now about things like abuse. We're right. not talking about crooked dealings. What we need to weigh is this. Am I living up to my end of the bargain, and is the boss living up to hers? Mm -hmm. And I know it's popular to believe in this 21st century world that employers exist to give us jobs. They owe us jobs. But that's not true. Those people are trying to make a living for themselves, and they're paying you as a Christian to help them make their dreams happen. That's why you're getting money in return for it. Right. So you're not doing a favor for them either, and they don't owe you a favor. Mm -hmm. So this one, you're just going to have to weigh on Bible principles. For me, I've always been very uncomfortable with it, especially the way that it's usually done in this day and age, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Today, we see violence on the picket lines. They light things on fire. We see unreasonable demands, hostage-taking, vandalism. We see people blocking roads, interfering with other people's lives to get their own way. We see heavy-handed tactics on both sides of the line. And I think there's a lot there that should make a Bible-believing Christian think twice before they get involved in that on one side of the table or the other, honestly. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know that's going to upset some people. I know. But again, write your angry letters to Gene Booster Box, 999 Loveland, Colorado. Or better yet, just go to your Bible and see what it says. Right. Come to your own conclusions about how you can best represent God's interests in this world because that's what you're trying to do. 
Christians put God first. They put his reputation first. Mm -hmm. They put displaying his character to the world first above all things, Mm -hmm. and we put self last. And above all, Christians always make sure that our own word is good. We want to make sure that everybody can depend on our word because that's actually one of the big issues in the whole universe. God's word has been questioned. That was the big issue in the Garden of Eden. Devil comes along and says to Eve, hey, did God really say that? Did he really say you can't eat from that tree? Did he really say you're going to die? And it's God's word that's being questioned. He's insinuating you can't trust God's word. Mm -hmm. And if you can't trust the word of God's people in this world, it sends an inaccurate message to the world about the trustworthiness of God. Now, you're not God, but the world is watching you. Trust me, they're watching you. And as a Christian, you go above and beyond the call of duty to represent God's faithfulness to this world by being faithful yourself. Good principles to what's not just a black and white question, definitely. Well, here's another one that's not so easy to answer, but I think it's important. Um, The issue of the temptation to make large sums of money quickly. Yeah, let's think about that as Christians. Let's talk about the get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, here's where an old saying makes really good sense. Mm -hmm. If something, folks, seems too good to be true... It probably, probably is. is. Look, when somebody, <laughs> right. somebody comes along and offers you huge sums of interest, you can make 28% on this investment. I mean, right. more than the bank will give you, more than any reasonable investment will give you. That's your first red flag that something is wrong. I mean, yeah. think about this. If the whole sales pitch is built on dishonest scales, you're going to get huge sums of money for very little effort. Mm. Something's wrong right out of the gate. The thinking Christian should have alarm bells going off in his or her brain. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with the offer. And usually what happens is you lose everything, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's usually too good to be true. Ooh, I'm going to make 50% interest a year. No, you're not. What you're going to do is lose everything. And now God's resources, they're not yours, not mm-hmm. if you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. God's resources have been taken out of your hands, conned away from you, taken away from you, and put back into the hands of the world where they will serve purposes other than the kingdom of Christ. Right. Look, wow. I, I know that sometimes... It does happen. Sometimes people do very, very well, very, very quickly. It does happen. But as a rule, we've been asked to put in honest effort for honest pay. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So my counsel is, ooh, be very careful. Very careful. Very Hmm. careful. Well, I think we're just about to take a break. So this may be an unfair question, but maybe we can tackle it after. Would that include gambling? Ooh, gambling. Mm, No, not when I'm in Vegas. Then that doesn't matter. But if you go to Vegas, that would be a sin. (laughs) That would be completely wrong. Yeah, there's a good reason, I think, that Christians have preached against the evils of gambling for as long as Christians have been around and as long as gambling has been around. And I know it seems harmless to most people, but there are some issues that we need to consider. So what we'll do, because I'm watching the clock on the wall like you are, Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to gamble that we have time to get our thoughts together during that break. And we're going to gamble that we can go in. We have time to go get the fidget spinner back. So that you can be entertained. It's our turn for the fidget spinner. Yeah, let's talk about gambling when we come back. Christians used to be really clear voices on this issue. And uh, and I don't know that we've been as clear as we used to be. So when we come back from the break, we'll pick up gambling and Vegas and casinos and and all of that stuff and look at the principles involved in that. In the meantime, though, 
Uh, if you still don't have your Bible handy, you might want to run and grab one of those to follow along in today's program. And you also want to get pen and paper because there's an amazing offer, an amazing offer coming from the good people at The Voice of Prophecy. We run one of the world's oldest and largest correspondence Bible schools. Right. You can learn more about the Bible in a heartbeat. There's that resource and so many others available at voiceofprophecy.com, where you can also find lovely pictures of my beautiful wife at voiceofprophecy.com. You, you are there. You're on the website. But what we got to do is we've got to take a break. And uh, right after this quick announcement, we'll be back and talk about gambling and Christians. As you may know, The Voice of Prophecy is supported by people just like you. We provide Christ-centered programs and Bible studies free of charge so that no one is left out. If you've been blessed by these programs and would like to pay it forward, we invite you to visit vop.com give to make your tax-deductible donation. We're equipping the world for Christ to come, and your support will make a direct impact on so many lives. That's vop.com give. Earthquakes, tornadoes, wildfires. Around us, homes are being lost, lives are threatened, and some people are asking the question, does God even care about me? The Bible answers that question, and what it says is very encouraging. Find out what God says regarding this topic and some of life's greatest issues in our free Discover Bible Guides. Go to VOP.com and click on Study, or call us 888-456-7933. Look what I got back during the break. Oh, you had the fidget spinner. I got the fidget spinner. Uh -oh. I was just looking at this thing. I'm spinning it thinking when I was a kid, you know what I would have done with this fidget spinner? Yeah, I can only imagine. I would have started it spinning. Uh-huh. Don't give kids ideas. Okay. There's no kids listening, <laughs> would they? I would start it spinning and probably throw it at my brother. But yeah, you probably would have. Don't do that at home. No. This is Pastor Sean officially telling the children of the world, do not throw your fidget spinner at your brother because... Um, or sister. Yeah, or sister, because your parents, your mom might just throw something at you, <laughs> like a, a wooden spoon or a belt. I'm from the old no, days. No, not, not nowadays. Moms right. don't do that anymore. All right, we were talking about gambling, and okay. we were up against a break, so we didn't really hit it. And we were saying that, you know, for generations, Christians preached against the evils of gambling, and I bet it's been a long time since anybody's ever heard a sermon on why Christians don't gamble. Yeah, I would think you're uh, right. There are some issues that we should probably consider. Here's number one. The sheer number of people that gambling turns into a problem for should mm. be a big red flag for Christians. Yeah. I, I don't know how many marriages have been ruined, how many meals children have had to miss, how many homes have been lost because of the highly addictive nature of gambling. And i got to say, look, I'm not innocent. I'm not looking at this from the outside. Before I was a Christian, I actually did go. My kids, are they going to hear this episode? Mm -hmm. Well, I may as well admit it. Before I was a Christian, I did. I used to go to the casino once in a while. And I love to play poker. So I, I do know this topic firsthand. But I remember this one time, I brought a good friend to the casino with me once, and it was his very first time. And mm -hmm. I introduced him to the roulette table, mm -hmm. where he went to play, had a lot of fun, and proceeded to lose about 600 bucks. Now, I'm ancient. $600 way back when. That's huge. We're talking 30 years ago. That was a lot of money. Yeah. And I watched him. He loved to play roulette. Oh, my mm -hmm. goodness. He was always on the verge of winning. It was always so close, so close. Well, it's designed that way. Hmm. It's designed that way. It's yeah. even odds all over that table until you get to that little green zero or the double zero at the top, which is just the slight edge in, in favor of the house. So it's oh, always, you're okay. always on the verge of winning. It's always so close. Oh. So he loses 600 bucks. And what does he do? He gets in his car. 
he drives to the bank, he withdraws more money, and then he comes back and loses all that too. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. And yeah. from there on out, it was a problem for this guy. Mm. He was addicted to the adrenaline and the dopamine. Right, right. That's really what happens. You win and there's a payoff in your brain, a chemical payoff. He's addicted to the idea of making more money than you should with the effort you put in. Gambling mm. is not an honest scale. Oh, You're hoping for a payout mm -hmm. that does not involve you putting in the effort. And I always find it curious when you walk into the casinos of this world that it always seems, and this is going to sound a little bit judgy, but so be it. It always seems like it's often the people who can least afford it who are sitting there putting their hard-earned money into those slot machines hour after hour after hour after hour with a dead look in their eyes all night long. Hmm. And it's not like we don't know intellectually that the odds are in favor of the house. The mm -hmm. casino did not open its doors to give away money. We know that. They didn't open a casino to give me cash. Right. They're in the business of taking my money. But somehow I think I'm going to be the exception to that rule when I walk through the door. And we easily forget that for every winner in the casino, there are thousands of losers. Mm, so true. there's that. There's also the issue of covetousness. Why are we gambling? We're gambling because we hope to obtain things you didn't actually have to work for. You're hoping to have something that isn't actually yours. You're focusing your attention on mammon, and you begin to serve it. Mm. You begin to lust after it. And gambling, it doesn't feed your higher nature. It doesn't feed your spiritual nature. Let's be honest. It just taps directly into your carnal nature, and the damage it has caused in our society is completely unbelievable. It, it has got pays a, They show all those ads. There's always a guy winning on the billboard. Yeah, yeah, they don't course. show the guy going home having to explain to his wife why they're going to have yeah. to tighten their belts this yeah, week. can't make the mortgage payment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's another perfect example of that principle of it's all about the heart. It's and about the heart. Where our priorities Absolutely. are. Again. Yeah. And honest scales. Yeah. Yeah, right, and on scales. So, Sean, would you advocate closing down the casinos? All right. Yeah, no. <laughs> Look, I think people still have a primary responsibility for themselves. God doesn't prevent you from making the wrong decision. Um, and here's the bottom line. If we all quit going, right. there would be no casinos. <laughs> take I mean, care that, of right, I'm not yeah. going to be the conscience for somebody else. Obviously, I think we need to protect our children, protect the most vulnerable among us. And so when we see somebody who's got a problem, Christians should be among the first to step up and help them escape and mm -hmm. put their arm around them and love them mm -hmm. and give them a hand. But closing down the casinos legally? Nah. And, and there's a room for difference of opinion on this for Christians. I, I completely get that. But no, I wouldn't close them all down. I wouldn't close down all the TV stations either, even though 90% of what those TV stations are putting on the air is garbage. It's mm -hmm. trash. Mm -hmm. But people are grown-ups with free moral license. And if we all stopped watching the trash on TV, producers would have to come up with something else to stay in business, wouldn't they? Yeah, and if we all true. quit going to the casinos, those casino owners would have to open grocery stores and sell <laughs> right. us honest groceries. And they would naturally honest. close. Yeah. They couldn't stay open. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very true. Yeah. So how do we define gambling? Um, there's something I've often wondered about. Does the stock market, does that apply oh, to that category Oh, I should gambling? make you answer that one because now we're going to get phone calls. Yeah, that's yeah. That's it's a, a double-edged question. Look, I heard yeah. one lecturer define gambling really well. Okay. Gambling is an exchange of money without the exchange of goods and services, mm. right? Mm -hmm. When you're gambling, you're exposing your assets to an unnecessary and artificial level of risk. Those aren't my words. I borrowed them from a guy I thought defined it well. Okay. If your money belongs to God, you have no business exposing it to unnecessary and artificial levels of risk. You don't. And most of all, in gambling, what you're trying to do is gain at someone else's expense because in gambling, most people lose and one person wins. That's true. There's no yeah. honest exchange. It doesn't no. work that way. So it's off limit for Christians, no question. Now, the okay. stock market. 
Okay. Here's where we're going to mix it up a little bit. It all depends. Okay. Are you taking money, you know, and are you placing God's money in the hands of business people who will employ people, provide valuable goods and services, make a profit? Can you participate in the life of that company? Mm-hmm. You know, you have a good conscience about it. Mm-hmm. Is it the kind of company you would be happy owning yourself as a Christian? Then there's nothing wrong with that. It's investing. Even Jesus in one of his parables talks about an unjust steward who gets reamed out saying, what? You should have, you went and buried the money in the ground. You should have at least invested it. Yeah, that's true. He, mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks about investment. Mm-hmm. Investment is putting money to work. But even there, you've got to ask yourself, how much risk are you willing to take when you understand that your money isn't yours and it belongs to God? How Mm -hmm. much risk, as a Christian, are you willing to expose God's assets to? So, earning a fair rate of interest on your money for putting it to useful work, not a problem. But let's say, and here's where we're going to get the letters, I suppose, but let's say day trading, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's room for disagreement here. I'll admit that. But when you're buying and selling stock by the minute, I'm buying it this minute, selling it the next, like that old game of stock ticker. It goes up sell it, goes down, buy it all day long. And it starts to look a little more like playing the horses than putting God's assets to work in the real business world. Now, you might want to think about that. Or maybe startup companies who promise you unreasonably high rates of return. You're going to make 200% in six months. Yeah, there's always a risk that goes with that. And if there's God's assets, what Christians need to do is examine, look, is that honest exchange? Am I putting the money out to honest work and honest use? And I can't speak for everybody. I need to be careful. But hopefully what I, I, I hope will happen is people will think carefully before they take what belongs to God. And your money belongs to God, your time, your life, everything belongs to God. And you don't want to put it to unnecessary and artificial risk. Mm, okay. Okay. Wow. Well, we've <laughs> we've addressed some tough ones, gambling, stock market. Yeah. Uh, Here's another one, and I think this one might hit a little closer to home for a lot of our listeners. It's okay. something many people deal with. What about Christians and debt? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. step on some more toes with this one because yeah. we live in one of the most debt-written societies in the entire world. We do. Last number I saw, I think the average American family has $16,000 in credit card debt on average, 16000 And for Christians in society at large, that represents something of a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. There was a day not too long ago when people, not just Christians, but everybody hated debt and they did everything in their power to avoid it. Mm-hmm. There's actually this old story about Charles Spurgeon when he was a little kid. He didn't have the money to buy a pencil at school, and so what he did is he borrowed a few cents to buy a pencil. And then he gets home, and his dad finds out he borrowed money to buy a pencil, and his dad goes nuts. Hmm. What are you doing? Christians don't borrow money that they don't have. That's the way it was just a few generations ago. You don't borrow money, and with good reason. What debt does is it presumes that you're going to be making the same level of income next year when the bill comes due, right? The word credit is a Latin word, credo, which means I believe. The person lending the money is saying, I believe, credo, I believe believe you're going to pay me back. Right. So, right, that's what they say. But if you lose your job or the circumstances change, then you're not going to pay them back. Mm. And the person who gave you credit ends up losing the goods and services they provided to you, and that ends up, again, being uneven scales. Yeah. Right? When it comes to debt, there are things that Christians need to consider. All right, here's what you need to consider. Number one, when you buy on time, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to purchase this over 36 months, and you pay interest on the loan, you're actually paying more for that item than you should. That's what's happening. The $1,000 refrigerator ends up becoming a $1,200, $1,300, $1,400 refrigerator. And if you really believe your money belongs to God, you've got to ask yourself, would God want me to spend 40% more on this fridge than it's worth? 
because you have the same fridge at the end of the end of the time. That's exactly yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So why would I take God's assets? That's bad investment. If you believe it belongs to God, you'll be wiser. Okay. Number two, easy credit really does encourage coveting, right? We start to want things we don't have because the marketing department at these companies makes mm. it look easy, artificially easy. We live in a world where most of us live in ways that would have made ancient nobles a little envious, <laughs> right? We live better than medieval royalty. We have huge TVs, luxurious furniture, opulent cars. We're living way past what we actually need as people. And most of those things, especially in American society, we don't own them. For so many people, they bought them on credit. We have houses full of things that we don't actually own, and now we're paying more for them than they're actually worth. Is that mm. a Christian attitude if the money belongs to God? Number okay. three, it's really easy to get in over your head and get into trouble. There's an old story about a bushman who'd never seen the great plains of Africa, so a visitor took him out to see those plains. And he was amazed. Look how far I can see out here on the prairie. I can see forever. It's kind of like eastern Colorado. I can see forever out here. <laughs> True. And he suddenly notices, a he notices this little black speck on the horizon. What's that? He asked his friend. Well, that's a buffalo. No, that's not a buffalo. Buffaloes are huge. They're six feet at the shoulder. That's a uh, tiny little speck. Why? Can't see it. He'd never seen one that far away. Right. So what's the lesson? When a salesman says, look, you can have this couch today and not pay for 18 months. That looks like a little speck on the horizon. It's a long ways away. But when the bill comes due, it's still a hmm. full-grown buffalo. It's a good illustration. Yeah. yeah. It's easy to get in way over your head, and then you're in trouble. Yeah. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 22. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You've enslaved mm. yourself. Wow. It's a form of slavery. The bank owns you. You're no longer working for your family and for God, but now you're working for a creditor as well. And for a lot of people, it means they're never going to catch up. They'll be making payments the rest of their lives. It is so much better, so much better to just live simply and humbly the way Jesus did and pay cash for the things you need. And I get it. You need some things, right? You need a place to live. Mm -hmm. So a mortgage might not be unreasonable debt. I mean, either you throw the money away on rent and it's gone forever, or you're building equity in a home so you have assets to help take care of your family. Yeah, that's right. But even yeah. then... You should still ask, what do I really need? How much debt do I want in my life if this is God's money? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You need a car. Um, some people don't have enough money for a car. But if you can, I'd say ride a bike, take the bus, make yourself a car payment every month until you have cash. Now, I'm the son of a car salesman. Right? <laughs> he taught, Dad taught me that. He says, don't pay more than you need to. That's Walk right. until you have cash for your first beater and then make yourself a payment every month. But again, the principle is this. Whose money is this? It's God's money. Who does my life belong to? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to build with my time on this earth? I'm exchanging my life for money, but my life belongs to God. As a rule, avoid debt. Avoid it like the plague because you want to be God's servant. Mm. And you don't want any entanglements you don't need. You don't want to be somebody else's servant. Avoid any temptation to place yourself under the control of other people. Great principles. And I guess, Sean, we could talk about Christians in bankruptcy. Uh, maybe. Oh, that'd be a good topic. We'd do a <laughs> yeah. show on what, what it means to go bankrupt as a Christian. Boy, Christian and multi-level marketing schemes. Yeah, we'll get angry letters mm. on that one. I think we should probably do the MLM someday. Maybe, but there, there are a lot of things we could still cover on this important right. topic. But I think but we the, are out of time. But the principle, again, is this. Everything I am, everything I have is God's. And to the best of my ability, I want to make sure God's assets stay in God's work. Amen. Not in somebody else's work. I don't want to become a slave to somebody else because the moment I enslave myself, I'm no longer free to serve God to the best of my ability. Mm. And I hear the music. That means we're out of time. And I'm not going to take any time on credit because we just talked about taking things on credit, and that would be completely <laughs> wrong. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back here, same time, same place, next time with Disclosure. 
I'm Sean Boonstra, and I'm here with my wife, Jean. And for this week, that's it. Until next time.